Hello, I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience podcast. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009 through adventure, life skills and language. We've got language guru, Mike. Hello. And the wonderful Miss Positive, Julie. Hi there. This episode will be visiting Australia, Switzerland, Finland, Papua New Guinea, Thailand and the USA in Around the World in Six Stories. This week on The Big Discussion, we are going to talk about social media, the pros and the cons. And of course, we'll hear from our young people where they will debate this as well. Mike and the listeners are going to guess what this sound is. be looking at India in fact or fiction. This week's youth spotlight is on 16-year-old Dara McNulty, who is the winner of a major UK literary prize. Also on life skills, we'll be learning how to wire a 13-amp plug. This week on the language corner, we'll be looking at words ending in the letters O-U-G-H, which can be pronounced no fewer than six different ways in English. This is the Learn and Experience podcast. Okay, guys, we are going around the world in six stories. What have you got, Julie? So did anybody manage to guess what that sound was? Was it a wind bell, a wind chime? You're close, you're close. So... I'm going to take you to the USA, and it's actually the San Francisco's famous Golden Gate Bridge, which has started singing following recent changes to a bicycle path. So you were kind of close there, Mike, kind of close. So what it does, it appears to make music as the wind blows through them, and this is what this is what residents have reported. So the reason for this is because of a new wind retrofit project. So it's basically designed to make the bridge more aerodynamic um, under high wind conditions. It's also uh, necessary to ensure the safety and structural integrity of the bridge. So that's a good thing. But apparently the noise can be heard from several miles away and is now being described by the locals as a giant orange wheezing kazoo. I'm going to take you off to the Papua New Guinea, which is an island in the Pacific between Australia and Malaysia. And there they've recorded the most variety of plants ever recorded in the world. A total of 13,000 species have been counted by 99 different plant experts from all around the world. And many of these experts were retired botanists. Botanists are people who study flowers and plants. And these botanists who've been working all their life were able to share their knowledge and and uh, experience and tell all of share all of this with the with the group who were collecting this data. Now it's important to collect this data because we can ensure that all these unknown species of plants can be collected before they disappear forever. So it's a it's a really uh, interesting natural na- natural and natural uh, exp- exp- experiment. So I'm visiting Finland this week. So a town in Finland is offering cake, free transport tickets and other rewards to locals who cut their carbon emissions. Lati, which is situated about 100 kilometers north of Helsinki, 
has developed an app that tracks resident CO2 outlays based on whether they travel by car, public transport, bike, or on foot. So the app's called CityCap, and it's developed with the European Union funds, uh, and it gives volunteers a weekly carbon quota. So if their uh, allowance is not exhausted, they get virtual money that they can be that can be used to buy bus tickets, access to the swimming pool, or even a piece of cake. Super cool. I would Often... only buy cake. <laughs> I don't think I would use it for the bus. I think I would just always buy cake. Well, they often talk about the carrot and the stick approach, don't they? Mm. For things, and that is definitely a carrot. Even could be a carrot cake for all we know. <laughs> but, uh... Okay, we are over to Australia. As last week, a chap called Vincent Namatjira became the first Indigenous artist to win Australia's prestigious Archibald Prize. And this is for his portrait of footballer Adam Goods, who is a professional Aussie rules player. Um, so the Archibald Prize was the first major prize for portraiture in Australian art. And actually, Vincent has painted lots of portraits, including, including uh, ones of Captain Cook, Donald Trump, and even the Queen. Um, and he was recently quoted in saying that I see them on the news and I wonder why they make the decisions that they do. I see this huge disconnect between their world and the day-to-day -day reality of life in a remote Aboriginal community. And I also discovered I'd shared the same birthday as Donald Trump. <laughs> we'll post some, some, some pictures of Vincent's art, um, which is, is, is really fantastic and, and, and a little bit comical as, as well. So yeah, well done, Vincent. We're uh, over to Switzerland, where a story of uh, gold bars has been found on a train uh, between the cities of St. Gallen and Lucerne. Three kilograms of gold, car gold bars worth £150,000, a lot of money, were found in a bag. Um, we've all probably heard of umbrellas and backpacks and phones being left on, on trains, but Gold bars, not so many of these things left on trains. And authorities have seized the gold and they say that the owner has five years to stake their claim of ownership. But there's no mention of how to prove that the gold was yours. So if anybody's out there listening, <laughs> that's a clever way. They've got five years to hatch a plan. They've got five so... years to hatch a plan. Exactly. So, still, so it still hasn't been claimed yet? Still hasn't been been claimed, and this story wow. I think was two weeks ago, so two weeks and counting. I've got a joke about Switzerland. What's the best thing about Switzerland? What is the uh, best thing about Switzerland? I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. <laughs> 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 <sighs> Okay, we're now going to Thailand for one of our lovely animal stories, which I know you love so much, Mike. Uh, we've got Thailand's oldest hippopotamus called May Marley, who celebrated her 55th birthday by gorging on an assortment of fruits and vegetables arranged in the shape of a cake, as children and other spectators sang to her. May Marley moved to a compound in Khao Kiu, open zoo in eastern Thailand two years ago from a zoo in Bangkok. 
At 55 years of age, May Marley, which means Mother Jasmine in Thai, has already outlived the typical life expectancy of a hippo of around 40 to 50 years old. But she does have a little bit of a way to go to catch up to another hippo named Bertha from the Philippines, who is considered to be the oldest hippopotamus in captivity, uh, who was 65, but she did die in, in 2017. So she holds a record, but uh, the mother, mother Javisman is on the way to catching her up. So they, do you know how big hippos can grow up to? Not quite as big as an elephant? Yeah, it's the second heaviest land animal after the elephant. So it's over 3,000 kilograms. Mm. Are, are um, they quite aggressive, hippopotamuses? I saw a documentary statistic, one time. yeah, that they cause the most deaths mm-hmm. by any animal. Th- Which I is, you know, you'd probably true. get like a, a hippopotamus like toy and things and you think they're quite cute. But actually, if you see one in the wild, maybe take a few steps back. Yeah. <laughs> so this week on The Big Discussion, we're looking at social media. Julie has spoken to some teens and listened to their opinions. But first of all, we're going to look at the pros and cons. So, Mike, you're on pros this week. What are the pros of social media? Okay, so if used in the right way, social media is a really good way to put yourself out there. I think we've all gone beyond the posting uh, posting on social media on Facebook a picture of your dinner. That, we know, is a waste of time. But if you use it in the right way, it's a great way to connect with other people, to share your opinions, and to try and make an impact on things. Uh, You can help with campaigns to raise awareness about natural disasters and other social causes. And it can be a really good tool to connect with thousands and thousands of people your age and, and even not your age from loads of different countries around the world. So if it's used in the right way, social media can be really good. And Julie, you're looking at the cons. Okay, so some of the cons I would say are, it can be, no, no matter what age you are, it can be quite addictive. Um, I think we put a lot of pressure on young people, uh, telling them it's very addictive and, and giving them rules on on when, you know, how much they can consume in one day. But I think adults do really struggle with that as well. Um, and I think... Anytime there's a gap in sort of conversation or just in the in-between times, um, it's just really easy to get on your phone and just kind of start going through your different apps or scrolling through, um, you know, the different social media channels. So I think you can waste a lot of time doing it. Um, Cyberbullying is a really big problem. Um, I think people don't maybe don't have their name on their social media accounts and therefore can kind of remain a bit faceless and, uh, and that's when cyberbullying can happen, which is which is not good. Let's hit, listen to the conversation you had with these young teens, Julie. Yeah, but I put a time limit on my phone, so now it helps a lot. And is that set by you or by your parents? Not by me. How long do you set it for, Vanessa? Um, forty-five minutes a day. Funny, like my immediate reaction to that is that's not a lot of time. But yeah, same. Like mine is one hour, but like for the whole thing. So I can just put my phone on just like that, and then it counts. 
Yes, sometimes it just, I was like, oh gosh, it's already seven. Just take the phone and continue. <laughs> but I do have to stop sometimes because there's always something, there's always somebody in my head saying, you have to work right now. You can't stay on your phone. <laughs> Who do you think's worse with their phones, adults or children? Young adults. Because they work with it and they're like, always like, I got something else to do. <laughs> so what do you think about social media being used to like raise awareness of things? Imagine there's like a tsunami and then with social media you can know and then you can run away. Maybe like the governments might be like controlling you. Making us think that the earth is round but actually it's, pl it's flat. Oh my god. <laughs> So this week in Fact or Fiction, we are visiting India. Last week, we had Julia as the winner of Fact or Fiction. So, Mike, you need to up your game to equalise. Are we ready for the first Fact or Fiction? Ready. i got my lie detector head on. <laughs> <laughs> ready. Okay. Marzinram which is a village in the Kazi Hills in India, is the driest inhabited place in the world. I'm going to go fiction because I think somewhere in, I'm going to go like middle of Africa near the Sahara is going to be way drier than that. Mm. Inhabited, don't forget. Mm. Ah, yeah, um, I missed that. You're not that. supposed to help Too him. Late. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> oh, great. He's given his answer. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say fact. So it is, in fact, fiction, Mike. Oh. You didn't fall for my double bluff. It is, in <laughs> fact, the wettest inhabited place in the world. Is it really? Wetter than, the high... wetter than UK? Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> and receives the highest recorded average rainfall in the world. Gosh. Um, it holds the record for the most rainfall in a calendar year, and that was in 1861. See, we have a lot of rain, but not really, really heavy rain, and that'll be really, really heavy rain. Yeah, monsoon yeah. style, yeah. Do I get a bonus point for saying that it's going to be really heavy rain? No? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Fact or fiction two. Shampooing is an Indian concept. I'm going to say fiction. And I don't know why. I have no answer why, but I'm going to say fiction. I feel like it was invented somewhere else. Mike? Well, as a language expert, I'm going to go with fact, because I believe that the word shampoo is, is, an, is a Hindi word. So I'm going to go with fact, but I... Yeah, I'm not a hundred. I'm not that confident, must say. But I'm gonna stick okay. with my instinct. He's taken a two-nil lead, Julie. Oh. Shampoo was invented in India, not the commercial liquid ones, but the method by use of herbs. The word shampoo, which you were talking about, Mike, itself has been derived from the Sanskrit word shampoo, which means to massage. Two-nil. You're so you're so smart, Mike. You're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> India is the world's second largest English-speaking country. I know that, that it's 
obviously a very large country. Is it the fifth largest in the world? I believe it's something like that. Um, I think it might even be the largest uh, English-speaking country. Is that is that so, maybe so a you're very saying silly fiction. thing to say? So I'm going to say fiction. You can't ask for the answer. That's not how fact or fiction works. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm so gonna... like fiction. <laughs> I'm going to go fact. I do believe it's the second largest English-speaking nation. Okay. Yes, Julie, you're, you've pulled one back. Ooh, uh, it's second great. only to the USA, um, oh. with around 125 million people speaking the language, which is actually only a, a 10% of the population. Gosh. So the population, and this is going to, I'm just going to give you this fact, the population is 1.4 billion, <gasps> uh, which I think is, in fact, the second biggest population in the world after China. India has the largest number of vegetarians in the world. I'm going to go fact because of because of religious connotations for that. Yeah, fact. I'm going to join you on that one, Julie. I think I think India has the largest number of vegetarians in the world. So, Mike, that's not how this works. You have to do the opposite <laughs> of what Is I that say. Right? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I think I break the well. rules here, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay, well done, Mike. Yes, you equalised that it is, in fact, a fact. Uh, like you said, Julie, because of religious reasons or personal choices or sometimes both. About 20 to 40% of Indians are vegetarians, making it the largest vegetarian-friendly country in the world. So snakes and ladders originated in India. I love that game. Any young person that's never heard of snakes and ladders, check it out. It's great. I'm going to say, f I'm going to say fiction and with no good reason. <laughs> snakes and ladders. Well, like Julie, I'm a big fan of the game. Um, and for no real reason, I'm going to go fact. <laughs> <laughs> really, to to say what the opposite of Julie, I think I, I think it might might have been invented in India by the vegetarians. Mike, you have you have won this week. Well oh. done, three one. So yeah, it was earlier known as Moksha Patabu, and the the game was initially invented as a moral lesson about karma to be taught to children. It was later commercialized and has become one of the most popular board games in the world. Snakes and Ladder came from India. Who knew? Mike did. That's right. <laughs> A good guess, I have to say. Uh, in this week's Youth Spotlight, uh, I have an inspirational story of a, a young man from Ireland, a young boy from Ireland called Dara McNulty, who at 16 has become the winner of the literary prize called the Wainwright Prize for his book called The Diary of a Young Naturalist. And this book chronicles the turning of his 15th year and his intimate love of the natural world. It's really an exploration of the, the woods nearby where he lives. And there's a beautiful passage in the book in which he talks about him being captivated by butterflies which are usually high up in the trees but for when I think two or three months of the, the year they come down to breed 
so they're really low to the ground and you can see these beautiful butterflies doing these sort of acrobatic spinning like a display almost for for his 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 eyes and he wrote a book about this really and one path, one bit that really struck me was the the idea that even in these very chaotic and uncertain times that we're living in at the moment the natural world continues to tick and i think that's a really comforting thought he also imagines the bird song as he walks through the forest and he imagines that each each bird plays a different instrument in an orchestra and he he thinks of himself as the conductor in this orchestra there's another part where he talks about the dandelion which is a really small yellowy flower which is often seen as a weed and he describes it as spring on a stem or the sunshine on the forest floor both of which just make him and the reader really really happy so Dara McNulty his book called Diary of a Young Naturalist I would say is well worth the read I've heard a few him interviewed a few times and he's so incredibly articulate and and descriptive of of his senses and what is also interesting about the backstory is he he's autistic as well he's a real a beacon for young people out there who've really gone with their passion and and taken and done something with their passion and yeah i'm really looking forward to reading his book and maybe we'll do a little book review in a couple of weeks so this week on life skills what have you been learning this week julie so this week uh, my father got involved to show me how to wire a 13 amp plug now, what is a 13 amp plug, you may ask? Well, if you live in the UK, anytime you plug something into the wall, you're more than likely using a 13 amp plug. So this week, unlike last week, I'm not gonna um, take Sam and Mike uh, through how to actually do this because it's a fairly longer process. So I'm just gonna um, talk you through the kind of main, the main parts, the main parts my father told me were important. So just to explain, a mains electricity cable contains two or three inner wires and each has a core of copper and this is because copper is a good conductor of electricity Now the outer layers are plastic and um, because plastic is a good electrical insulator so the key uh, the key points to wiring a plug as my father explained to me brown is the live wire and it goes into the terminal marked l so if you can look at a plug and if you're in the uk and you can find a plug find the letter l and um, the green and the yellow wire would go is, is earth and that would go into E and then the blue wire is neutral and that would go into N. Now there is different combinations of colors and I think letters in different countries, which would be quite interesting to find out about. Um, the key is when you're putting the wires into these, um, into the three terminals is to make sure that the screws that you, that you screw in are to hold the wires in place are, are really tight. That can be um, a, a, an error that one can make. Brown, so brr, it's got an R in it. So that would go to the right-hand side if you're looking at the, the casing. Blue, bleh, with an L, would go to the left. <laughs> and I didn't have one for the last one, so that must be the one at the top. Um, <laughs> it's the other one, exactly. It's the one that's It's the one that's left. Now, interestingly, um, due to the... The, the plug having a fuse and its sturdy construction means that the British plug is the safest in the world. 
And another reason is because the sockets also feature shutters and that prevents children from sticking things in it like paper, cl paper clips and, and getting a nasty, a nasty shock. So uh, if you live in the UK, you're using the world's safest plug or Republic of Ireland, Malaysia or Saudi Arabia, they also use um, the UK style plug. Uh, and if you want to, to see the video of my father teaching me how to do this very patiently, I might add, you can head over to our YouTube channel and check it out. I'll be there after this call. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. So this week's Language Corner features words that end in the letters O-U-G-H. And there are loads of them. There are loads of them in English and Interestingly enough, these can be pronounced in no fewer than six different ways. It springs to mind the poem, Why is English so difficult to learn, to me? We'll begin with a box, but the plural is boxes. We speak of a sock, but we don't say soxes. There's the animal called a goose, and two are called geese, but the plural of moose is never called meese. And the examples of these different pronunciations of the O-U-G-H in words can be found in lots of different words. So you have the sound uff in words like rough and enough. You have the word, you have the, sound, the pronunciation off in words like cough. There's the sound oo in words like through. O in words like dough and although. Up in words like hiccup, and ow in words like plough and bow, which is the front of a ship. But all of them are with the same letters, O-U-G-H, just pronounced different ways. The reason why they are pronounced in different ways is because English, like all languages, has changed their pronunciation over time. Languages evolve like animals evolve and people evolve. But Middle English, which was the English that was spoken 300 or 400 years ago, was responsible for changing a lot of these, these words and the, 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 the sounds of this, particularly the O-U-G-H sound. So there you go. That's this week on Language Corner. That's amazing. So complicated, isn't it, English? <laughs> when you look at it, when you look at, <laughs> you know, four simple letters and, uh, and so many different pronunciations. Spare a thought for all of those people trying to learn it out there. <laughs> I'm glad I speak it already. A version of it anyway. Mike, our language guru, is being challenged by our self-proclaimed worst speller in the world, Julie. <laughs> uh, we're going to look at three words that we've covered uh, so far in today's episode. And the first word, Julie, mm -hmm. is hippopotamus. I knew you were going to do that one. <laughs> H-I-P-P-O, hippo, pretty sure I've got that bit right. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> that was two Ps, right? H-I-P-P-O, I don't want to make that silly mistake I made last week. <laughs> okay, Otamus, O-T-A-M-U-S. Can you just do it all in one word? Because already No, that's the way I do it. <laughs> I'll try, I'll try. Um, so hippo, H-I-P-P-O. P-O-T-A-M-U-S. I think I missed out yeah. the P on the you last did, one. You did miss out the P. Oh, so thank you for helping me there, Zab. <laughs> no quarrel with that pronunciation. I think that's that's the correct pronunciation. 
Well uh, done. Correct spelling, is... even not the pronunciation. <laughs> the pronunciation was fantastic as well. Uh, that is the correct uh, spelling. Well done, Julie. Vegetarian. Vegetarian. Okay. Um, V-E-G-E-T-A-R-I-A-N. I'm afraid you've got one vowel wrong, which is the second... There's three E's in the word vegetarian. Is V-E-G-E-T-E-R-I-A-N. Vegetarian. Tarian, T. Well, anyway, no, you stick. You stick with that. I'm going with that. (laughs) Okay, Julie. Uh huh. You've just beaten the language (gasps) guru. (laughs) (laughs) Tarian. Tarian. Yes. I've always thought it was Irian. Vegetarian. 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 Julie, come on! You've got to get. You've got to get this last one. (sighs) <sighs> to claim that crown. <laughs> so we were in Finland and we were looking at reducing emissions, CO2 emissions. Can you spell the word emissions, Julie? No. Last week, I didn't go with my gut. Now you think it's maybe an I, emissions, but I think it's an E. So I'm going to go with my gut this time. Emissions. Emissions, emissions. E M I S S. I-O-N-S. Mike? I concur with Julie. I agree with Julie, yeah. It is the correct spelling yes! of emissions. Julie, you are the winner this week. <laughs> oh, Lord. I think this might be the only time, so I'm just going to revel in my um, awesome spelling. Mike, dear, oh, dear. Are you a vegetarian, Mike? I am a flexitarian, so I'm, I, I, <laughs> I'm a part-time vegetarian, which shows just how part-time I am. So how do you spell flexitarian? <laughs> <laughs> is it all the same? <laughs> you learn something yeah. new every day. Oh, I'm well very happy done. with that. Going to be smiling all week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was the Learn and Experience podcast. Goodbye, Julie. Goodbye, Mike. Goodbye, Sam. Goodbye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience podcast. Brought to you by the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009 through adventure, life skills and language. Please visit our website at learnandexperience.com to find out more.